there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before. And it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. This morning I'd like to talk with you about obedience. I'd like to talk about obedience because it's what we're going to talk about, but also because it's, a, it's something we, we don't understand. And we don't understand it because we think we understand it. We think we understand what obedience is. You know, we have people who pride themselves in being obedient. We have people who pride themselves in being disobedient, being rebellious. Now, they, they don't call it disobedient and rebellious. They call it being free thinkers. They call it being independent. But the truth is, is that we can call anything something else in order to justify staying the same. Our language is so fluid that way. It's so wonderful that way. The work, on the other hand, is not so easy. Because the work has a special language, and a special language is designed just like a scientific language. You know, there's a scientific lang language of geology, where certain rocks from certain periods are called certain things, and other rocks from other periods are not called those same things. But in our ordinary language, a rock's a rock! What are you talking about, man? And then there's astronomy, where this kind of gas or that or this or this kind of a body is called this or that. It's called a certain thing. Or there's chemistry, where an element has a number. It's given a number. So we have specific languages that are designed to do specific things. But in life, we don't have a language for what we want to do. And so the fourth way gives us a language, a language of development, a language of esotericism, a language of completing ourselves. You see, the central aim of this work is self-change. Now, this may come as a big surprise. It comes as a big surprise because we think the central aim of this work is something else, is getting what we want, or reaching our aim, or being more conscious, or being more aware, raising our level of being. But that's not really what the work says. What the work says is that the central aim of this work is self-change, so that no matter where you are, that central aim is the same. So it doesn't matter if you've raised your level of being and now you are where you aimed at being. That doesn't have anything to do with the work. That was your personal aim. The central aim of this work is self-change. Well, how can that be? The central teaching is that man is an unfinished creation. So the central aim of this work is self-change. And the reason it, the central aim of this work is self-change is because the central teaching of this work is that man is an unfinished creation. He's not done yet. He's a self-developing organism. One whose only real task is to complete itself. Okay, here we are. In this big old world, what do you want to do? Well, one of the last things that you're going to talk about, if you're going to be genuine and honest and truthful and sincere, the last thing you're going to say, one of the last things you're going to say is, oh, I, I really want to complete myself. Now, complete yourself, yes, you want to do that if you mean get hooked up with that babe over there or get hooked up with that guy over there, or get hooked up with that bank account over there, or get hooked up with that car over there, or get hooked up with that better job, or get hooked up with that promotion, or get hooked up with that raise, or get hooked up with that liposuction, or get hooked up with that facelift, or get hooked up with that hair dye, or get hooked up with whatever. Now, if that's what you mean by completing yourself, 
Well, there you go. We're talking two different languages, aren't we? We're not talking the work language anymore. We're now talking the language of life. And the language of life is how we complete ourselves is we fulfill our hedonistic desires. Oh, well, I'm not that kind of person. I'm not a man, number one. I really want fulfillment in, a, in an emotional way. I want, to, I want to find my soulmate so that we can fulfill each other emotionally. Okay, good. So you're man number two. Oh, no, well, I'm man number three. I want to understand how the universe works and why we're here. Oh, great. Okay, see, so you don't want to complete yourself. You just want to understand how to complete yourself. You don't want to complete yourself. You just want to find your soulmate so you can hook up and you will complete each other. You don't want to complete yourself. You just want to fulfill your lusts. So we have it. Man number three, two, one. Man number one, two, three. No matter how you look at it, there we are. If we don't grasp this concept that you're a self-developing organism and that your main number one task in life is to complete yourself, if we don't grasp this simple truth, then the force of this work cannot change us, cannot help us, cannot reach us. It can't help us unless we're doing what the work is teaching. The thing about this work is it's very different from other things. It's not like the modern-day bastardization of bumper sticker Christianity. Wait a second, back up there. What do you mean, the modern-day bastardization of bumper sticker Christianity? What I mean is that Christianity today, in our modern day, is basically bumper sticker Christianity. You got a fish on the back of your car? No, I've got a fish with legs and Darwin in the middle. Oh, aren't you clever? So basically that statement is, ha, 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 man came from fish, so Darwin was right, and so creation is wrong, and you know, it's like, fine, fight it out on the bumpers of your cars. <laughs> well, how about this one? Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. This is modern day bumper sticker Christianity, which is a bastardization of true Christianity, real Christianity, esoteric Christianity, a Christianity that had teeth, meaning, and an aim and value. There was such a thing. Thousands of years ago, there was such a thing. We don't know what it is today. But even the remnants of it, even the crumbs that have fallen from the master's table are still so powerful that they still have life in them. We can still find life even in something so dead, so misused, so splattered over billboards and bumper stickers. We can still find life in it. That's incredible. That is the power of esotericism. That is the power of truth. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not one of my words will pass away. Well, they may not pass away, but they will get deeply buried and lost. Well, that's okay. When they get deeply buried, they're like seeds. They can grow. Now, you can plant a seed too deep, and it won't grow. But animals go, and they dig, and they dig, and then they uncover seeds, and then the seed gets covered up a little bit, and sure enough, it grows. You know, they found wheat in tombs that were five and 6,000 years old, Egyptian tombs, that was viable. They'd go and plant it, and it would grow. Yeah, heirloom Egyptian wheat. It's pretty awesome when you think about it. This work unlike modern-day bumper-sticker Christianity, well, where all you have to do is believe. This work says, well, that won't be enough. You're going to actually have to do it. You can't just be a fourth-wayer and be forgiven. You have to cancel everybody's debt. You have to erase all of your accounts inside of you. Oh, I think it's easier to believe that somebody else already did that for me. The work can't help us 
if we never remember ourselves? How can it help you if you don't remember yourself? It's like having, uh, it's like having $10 million in a numbered Swiss account and not knowing the number of the account. You could live the life of a pauper as a multimillionaire because you couldn't remember the number of the account. If you can't remember yourself, this work cannot help you. So that's the difference between this work and belief systems. If you can't remember yourself, the work can't help you any more than you can be nourished by looking at pictures of food in Gourmet Magazine. Uh, you know, you flip through the magazine, you flip through the cookbooks and you go, wow, that looks really good. Wow, that looks really good. Oh man, this is making me hungry. Well, just lick the page. <laughs> well, that won't work. Well, sh why not? If you can believe that somebody else could do something for you, why can't you believe that somebody else, well, somebody else made that, somebody else ate that, satisfied them. So just be filled and be warm and filled, you know, go on your way. It's all fine. No, this work can't do that. And it doesn't promise that. And it won't promise that. Not as long as I'm telling you what it is. Now, there may come a time when someone else will say that this work will promise that. But now, this work does not promise that, and this work never has. But someday in the future, when things get jumbled up and confused, and hirelings come in, people who work for money instead of for work, when that happens, and it will happen because it happens to everything, the work will be reduced to bumper sticker work. That's all. I've seen bumper stickers. You know, I've seen license plates, fourth way, fourth way license plates. Ra, 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 sis, boom, ba. I'm very proud of you. The problem is we can't obey this work and do as we like. And this is where the rubber meets the road, people. This is the problem. This is why we have life as a neutralizing force instead of work as a neutralizing force. Because we can't obey this work and still do what we want. You can't have it your way and the work's way. Now, when it's bumper sticker work, when that happens sometime in the future, you may be able to do that. But now, that's not the way it is. This can't be memorized or taught. This is something that has to grow in your experience. You actually have to plant this work inside of yourself. You actually have to tend it. You actually have to nourish it, nurture it. Make sure it gets fertilized. Make sure it gets dug around. Make sure it gets water. Make sure it gets light. You have to make sure of that or else it's not going to happen. Sitting here listening to me, listening to podcasts while you drive somewhere in your car, you sit at your computer or you go exercise. You're on the, what are those stair stepper machines? There are people who, this is what cracks me up. There are people who listen to me on the stair stepper machine. Now, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But there are people who listen to me on it. There's somebody who told me, wrote and told me they were on the stair stepper machine at the gym and they were listening to me. And something I said made them laugh. And they started laughing. And this woman next to her said, well, you must be listening to some really weird music. And she just looked at her like, huh? People listen to music on these things? <laughs> My point is, it must be a growth of one's own experience. And this takes us a very long time before it begins, begins to become clear. It's connected with keeping our aim. We have a problem with keeping our aim. <laughs> the problem is we have to remember it. And that's not that easy. First of all, we don't really know, we don't really make much of an aim. It's amazing some of the aims we make. Think of some of the aims we make. As life and the work kind of struggle for the position of the neutralizing force, we end up with these warped aims. 
really weird aims. I can tell by some of the smiles on your faces that you are becoming aware of some of your warped, really weird aims that are not quite trustworthy. Aim is something we begin to think about in words without seeing really what the words mean. But this is all what the work is like, isn't it? At first, it's words. Connie was talking the other day, we were talking about the work, and, and, and she said, you know, we started off with all this hydrogens and food for the moon and this and that. She said, I just was so lost. I just forget it. I don't, I don't get it. The words were overwhelming. Because at first, we start off with words. But we don't know what the words mean. But later, little by little, as we practice this, as we sit in a group, as we meditate, as we do the things that groups do, as we interact with one another, then little by little, the words start to take on a little bit of meaning, not a lot, but a little bit of meaning, and then a little more and a little more and a little more. And finally, they become rich. And finally, it really does become a language. And when you say to someone, man number one, man number two, man number three, it has meaning for you. Whereas before, they were the words that you memorized, and you're, oh yeah, what, man number one is this, and man number two is that, and man number three is that. What's man number four again? Man number five, man number six, man number seven, what are they? Well, we know what man number seven is, because that's the other end of the pendulum. <laughs> So we know about that. That's like, that's like really good. And man number one, two, and three, well, that's like really not so good. That's pretty bad. That's not good. So that's what we know. But eventually the words take on meaning. And that's the way it is with aim. It's something we begin to think about in words without really seeing the words meaning. Aim always has to do with self-change. Ooh, ow, oh, ah. Aim always has to do with self-change. Aim always has to do with self-change. Well. We can see right now. Just run across some of your aims. It's like, oh, well, that doesn't have anything to do with self-change. Oh, well, that doesn't have anything to do with... Well, then that must not be an aim. Not a work aim. It can be a life aim, but don't call a life aim a work aim. A life aim can have to do with anything. It can have to do with work. Well, I want to go to that meeting. I want to read that book. Good, that's a life aim. Well, it's a book about the work. Well, that's wonderful. It's still a life aim. Well, I'd like to, I'd like to start my own group. That's great. That's a life aim has nothing whatever to do with the work. Because the work, the central aim of this work is self-change. So if the central aim of this work is self-change, then the central aim of this work is self-change. Which means if you have an aim, it has to be about self-change. If it's about this work. If it's not about self-change, it must be about something else, not this work. Right? Okay, good. We're tracking now. Got their heads nodding. I like that. Aim always has to do with self-change. No self-change is possible if we always do what we like. If you're always doing what you like, you're not going to change. If you're always doing what pleases you, and if everyone else is always doing what pleases you, you're not going to change. Then you are not going to realize the central aim of this work, which is self-change. If you're always doing what you like, if you're always getting what you want, if you're always being pleased, if you're always making demands on other people how they need to make you feel, you are not going to change. You are not going to fulfill the aim of this work. You don't have an aim according to this work. Now in life, you may have a gazillion aims. Bravo. Good for you. More power to you. Have a great time. That's not why we're here. No self-change is possible if everything that we aim at is easy to do. Oh, now you're really starting to meddle. I don't think I like this too much now. Well, 
If it's always easy to do, if it's always pleasing, if it's always what you like, you're not going to change. Well, why is that? Well, because when something's easy to do, it generally doesn't take very much effort or consciousness. And self-change does not come about mechanically or unconsciously or effortlessly. But, <clears throat> excuse me, sir, but I would like it to. So would I. But that's not the way this world works. Oh, well, could I have a transfer to world, some other world where it does work that way? Sure. If you can find a place to get transferred out, tell me where it is. Well, I saw it on the back of a bumper sticker on it. Oh, if I just follow that car to that place, then I get the transfer out of here. It's a great idea. How's it worked for you? People make aim that has nothing to do with the work. Or they make aim that isn't done in connection with a feeling of the work. You've got to have a feeling of the work. But you've got to admit that mostly what you have a feeling for is life. You've got a feeling about life. You've got a feeling. I feel like I could get, oh boy, the market's good now. I think I could get a deal now if I get in there now. Oh, well, my wife died and there's this neighbor lady and I think, you know, and her husband died and I think that, you know, we could, we could probably hook up. You know, and then we could like join our houses and everything and our bank accounts and sell one of the cars and we'd really be, we'd be styling, you know, and I like her and she, you know, that would work. That's great. That's a feeling for life. It's not a feeling for the work. That's a feeling for life. Nothing wrong with a feeling for life. Stop calling it a work aim. Stop calling it the work. It's life as a neutralizing force. That's what it is. It's you living life. There's a difference between you living life and you doing the work. The difference is a different world. Let's say your aim is to run a three-minute mile. I know that's a lame aim for a lot of people here. A lot of people, three-minute mile, I'll tell you what, forget about that. How about if I run a three-minute hamburger over here? How about a three-minute egg, you know? Maybe I'll just have like a three-minute ice cream cone, you know? I could eat that whole ice cream cone in three minutes. How about if I eat a half a gallon of ice cream in three minutes? That'd be pretty good. That'd be my aim there. So that's not what we're talking about. Let's say you say, let's say you want to run a three-minute mile. I know, it was, it was the best I could come up with. I was thinking and thinking. You wouldn't believe some of the stuff I had written down for, 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 a, for a life aim. I came up with all kinds of stupid things, and this was one of them. So all I could come up with was stupid stuff. And it's not like I think that life aims are stupid. Okay, okay, so I do. I think life aims are stupid. I'm just at that place in my life right now. Connie and I were talking last night. She said, oh yeah, we were talking about having an artificial leg. And she said, well, you've lived two-thirds of your life with an artificial leg. And I said, yes, two-thirds of my life plus one year. I started on an artificial leg when I was 19. I'm now 60, 41 years, over two-thirds of my life. So I'm okay with it. <laughs> like, this is the way this is. I don't have anything going on about it anymore. Like, well, this is just the way it is. I mean, I can remember what it was like before. And, and there are people around me who are not monopeds, you know. I look at people around me, I go, but I don't think much about it. You know, I just don't think much about it. And sometimes people will say something like, wow, that must have really been hard. Well, yeah, I guess it was. I don't know. All I know is that right now, it's not important. Right now, this is important. So let's say your aim is to run a three-minute mile. Could this possibly be called a work aim? Yes, Diana is shaking her head yes. So... I am all ears. Tell me how this could be called a work game, my darling. Discipline. Discipline. Okay. So Diana is saying that if she ran a three-minute mile, it would be work game because she would have to discipline herself. 
Now, what I'm saying is, if you make a real work game, let's say you make the real work game of trying to remember yourself. Or let's say you make the real work game, let's make it even better than that. Let's put a point on this edge. Rather than trying to remember yourself, which is kind of like a mountain in Pennsylvania compared to a mountain in Colorado. Mountains in Colorado have points. Mountains in Pennsylvania are rounded over. They're little bumps. They're, they're, they aren't pointy. So let's put a point on this one. You make a real work aim of trying to remember to act without identifying. And let's say you try to practice this work exercise at least several times a day. Okay, so now you're going to try to practice not identifying and you're going to try to do this several times a day. So that's a real work aim. Can you see the difference between that and running a three-minute mile? Where Diana's getting confused is she's saying, well, if I take my life aim of running the three-minute mile and I connect it with a work aim, then it's a work aim. No, it's not. It's a life aim connected with a work aim. So let's take the real work aim of not identifying and practicing that several times a day and the life aim of running a three-minute mile. Let's connect them up. Okay, now we got them connected up. So now you can try your real work aim right now and discipline yourself to not identify with me making you look like an idiot. Because that's really why you don't ask questions, isn't it? Pride. Isn't that what it was? You don't want to look bad. Because pride is all about looking good. Is it not? It's about, being, it's about how other people perceive us, or what's worse, how we perceive that other people perceive us. It's not even how other people perceive us. It's how we perceive that other people perceive us. It's not even that. It's not even real enough to be what other people perceive us as. It's so in imagination. It's not even that. It's what we imagine that other people are perceiving. That's pride. And we have based our life on that and our actions on it. That's what we're going to act on now. So are you going to ask a question? Oh, no. Oh, no, I'm not, I couldn't ask a question. I might perceive that other people are perceiving me as stupid if I ask a question. So I'm not going to ask a question. I'm not going to say that's a work aim or I'm not going to take the risk of saying that's a work aim or that's a life aim because what if I'm wrong and I'll look stupid? See, you don't look stupid to me. I admit, you do look stupid to some people here, but you're going to look stupid to those people no matter what you do, because that's what kind of glasses they wear. They put their glasses on and everybody looks stupid. And the only people who don't look stupid is the people who agree with them. But the bottom line is, that's really not a lot of people when you think about it, which is why people who wear glasses like that have such small circles of friends. Let's move on. Now you've got your three-minute mile in conjunction with your general real aim, which means you've got to run without being identified. You've got to share your aim with other people without being identified. So you go, well, I'm going to, I'm going to run a three-minute mile. And people go, yeah, right, you're going to run a three-minute mile. Where are you going to run to, McDonald's? Now you've got to, now you've got to have, this work aim, have, have this aim without being identified. Now you've get, you can get some real work done. You see that? Because your work aim is not to be identified. So now you have to separate from anything that gets in the way. So let's say you're out running, you're practicing, and it's hot. Oh, man, now you've got to run in the heat without identifying. You know, everybody thinks that's very easy. But we just had a heat wave. And did you notice how many people thought that the weather was being bad on purpose? <laughs> well, we had all this internal consideration going on, like, well, what does it have to be this hot? <laughs> because this is the way it is? 
Well, what's that got to do with anything? I don't like it when it's this hot. All that internal consideration, like, we deserve to be cooler. Like, life isn't doing what it's supposed to do if we're not cool enough. If life is too hot for us, life is bad. Life is a bad, it's bad, bad life, bad life. <laughs> you change that right now, because I don't like that. It's silly, isn't it? But it's how we live. It's a form of internal consideration for us. So if everything goes wrong on your run, Diana, you still will have to separate from the eyes that want to start to become negative about that. So if it gets hot, you still now have to separate from all the eyes that want to be negative about the weather. If a car doesn't wait for you when you're getting ready to cross the street, you have to separate from the eyes that want to be negative about that inconsiderate driver. And this is California, and pedestrians are have, supposed to have the right of way, and, ah, 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 and that person didn't give me the right of way. You've got to separate from that now. Now we've got some real work going on. If you can remember that, if you can remember your work aim while you're running your three-minute mile, it's turning into now six minutes with all these inconsiderate drivers. And this heat, it's very difficult not to do everything personally. At times, internal consideration is so strong that we think life is out to get us. Drivers are out to get us. They know we're jogging here. They know we're running here, but they just don't care. We begin to realize we can't always have our own way. And when we do, we're not usually very happy about it. <laughs> People, is this true or is this true? We start to realize in this work as we make work aim, that we can't always have our own way. And that just does not thrill us. No matter how much we talk about the philosophy of it, the truth about it is, it's not something that makes us happy spontaneously. Well, what are you so happy about? <laughs> I'm not getting my way. <laughs> oh, that's really cool. You're going to be happy for a long time. <laughs> In fact, life is just going to be one happy machine for you. Just one perpetual motion happy machine for you. If you can be happy when you're not getting your way, you're going to be happy a lot. You're going to be happy a lot more than you're going to be unhappy. Because that's just not what kind of world this is. At first, we have this feeling externally. You don't have your way because of me. You don't have your way because of the work. The work won't let you have your way. You don't have your way because of the group. The group won't let you have your way. Oh, no, no bites, huh? Nobody buying this? It's why we lie. It's why you sit here and you don't ask questions. Because the group might think you're stupid. You don't have your way because the group is stopping you. You don't have your way because he's going to make fun of me if I... He'll interrupt me. He'll contradict me. He'll make fun of me. So you don't have your way because of me. It's all my fault. You don't have your way because of the group. It's all the group's fault. Oh, no, the work says this. Oh, oh, so you don't have your way because of the work. It's all the work's fault. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I understand that. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? I understand that. I understand not having my way because of you. I understand not having my way because of the group. I understand not having my way because of the work. I understand not having my way because of the weather. I understand not having my way because of the economy. I understand not having my way because of the politics. I understand not having my way because of God. I understand that. That makes perfect sense to me. It's all their fault. I know that. That's in my knower. That's real to me. So let me try and just get some of it across to you because obviously you don't get that. Obviously, you live in some other world where everybody does the work perfectly all the time. I live in this world here where the hypnotism of life is so powerful, I feel like I'm being sucked under the, with an undertow. 
I go out for a swim, and the next thing I know, I'm in Hawaii. Well, that's okay. I like Hawaii. Yeah, but there are all these sharks swimming around me, and they're all hungry. And I cut my toe on a barnacle as I was crossing that reef. And now they smell the blood. Of course, you're free to leave. You don't have to stay in the work. You don't have to stay in the group. You don't have to stay here with me. And some people do. That is an option. And you can go have it some other way. You can go fix it by moving, by changing. Some people change gods. Some people change countries. Some people change religions. Some people change politics. But some way they change, but it's not an interchange. It's not about self-change. It's about outer change. It's about making them stop doing whatever they're doing to hinder me from having my way. So at first it's external. Then little by little, this feeling must be in you without the outer props. Well, what are the outer props? Well, this is an outer prop. This group is an outer prop. This work is an outer prop. I am an outer prop. Then you don't do things personally as you once did. When you stop obeying me, you start obeying the work. When you stop obeying the work and you start obeying yourself, you no longer do things personally as you once did. These are steps that we take. Now, I admit, most people take those steps in the very beginning. I'm not doing what you tell me to do. I'm not doing what this work tells me to do. That doesn't, that doesn't suit me. That's not my way. I'm not doing that. Okay, don't do that. I'm leaving here. I don't have to listen to this. That's right, you don't. Everybody's free to go. Go on with your bad self. But when you stop doing that, when you stop looking out there at all of those things that are not letting you have your way, and you start looking in here and you stop taking it so personally, then something happens. And what happens is there will be two divisions of eyes in you, two people in you. One eye wishes to work and the other eye does not. There's this opposition set up inside of you. There's this strife. There's this struggle that's set up inside of you. Well, that's not pleasant. We don't like that struggle. We don't like that strife. Let's go back to sleep. Let's make life the neutralizing force again, where that struggle just is okay. It's like not a big deal. It's like the waves lapping on the boat as we rock ourselves back to sleep in the hammock. The struggle continues because strife is at the bottom of work. Oh, why didn't somebody tell me this when we started this? Strife is at the bottom of this work. Strife is at the bottom of this work. And you ever notice what a big surprise it is when you have strife in this work? What? What? Something's wrong here. Something's definitely wrong. There's strife. He needs to go. He needs to, he, we need to get rid of him. He needs to get out of here. There's, he, he, that's too much strife. He needs to shut up. He needs to do this. He needs to do that. This group needs to do this. These people need to stop doing that. There's too much strife. Strife is at the bottom of this work. Oh, well, then I think I want the bumper sticker work. You know, the one where you just like read the book and you're there. Yeah, that's the one I want too. I'm not going to lie about it. That'd be nice. But life just doesn't work that way. Work begins when a man starts to struggle with himself. But you know what? What you'll find is most people are struggling with other people. They're not struggling with themselves. They're not sitting there going, yeah, well, I'm a liar and I'm fat and ugly and I'm overbearing and pompous and I'm proud and arrogant. That's not what people are doing, are they? No, they're going, he's a liar. But she's a bony dummy. And her, she doesn't have any self-discipline. That's what people are struggling with. They're not struggling with themselves. So work hasn't begun for those people. Who are those people? Oh, I don't know. Nobody here. Nobody here, because we're all struggling with ourselves. You never hear us say anything about anybody else.
We're struggling with ourselves because we know how to work. We know what this work is about. That's why we don't have any questions. When you begin to obey the work, you can't do as you like. I'd really like to wring your neck. <laughs> but, but I'm obeying the work right now and it won't let me. <laughs> Come on, people. Yeah. Get with it. I mean, isn't this it? The work is conscience. At first, it's outside of you. You hear it speaking and work teaching. Because conscience in man is buried. Real conscience, which is the same for everyone all over this planet, is buried deep in man. So deeply that he can't reach it. So he has to be taught from outside. Outside teachers, that's his training wheels until he can reach what is so buried inside of himself. Higher centers exist in everyone all the time, unheard, because we are so deeply asleep that we have to be taught from outside. If a man feels this work teaching emotionally, if something in him, him responds to it, if he persists long enough, he finds the work inside of him and not just outside of him. You no longer need to be reminded from outside of you because the reminders come from inside of you. Whose neck do you really want to wring? I want to wring false personality's neck. Well, whose false personality? <laughs> Mine. Well, why? Well, because that's what the work says. But there's a time when you really do see that it's you. It's not just what the work says. It's not just what the book says. It's not just what I say to irritate you. It's what is inside of you. And you feel it emotionally inside of you. And you want it more than you want anything. You want it more than you want food. You want it more than you want air. You want it more than you want power. You want it more than you want money. You want it more than you want a bumper crop. You want it more than you want anything else. Just in case you hadn't noticed that, we're not there yet. We still got a lot of life aim mixed in. But at that point, when you find the work inside of yourself instead of outside of you, at that point, you've got to begin to obey the work. You may not know how, but intention has to be there. The intention to obey the work. What does the intention to obey the work look like? The intention to obey the work looks like you could turn a huge, huge oil tanker on the ocean with a little tiny rudder. That's what it looks like. When you've got the internal attention, somebody can say to you, that's not right, and you turn. Right now, what we do is we fight. <laughs> Who are you to tell me? Shut up. Leave me alone. I'm sick of you. You don't know what you're talking about. That's what we do instead. That's because we don't have the work inside of us. What we have is imagination instead, which satisfies every center. So if you've got the intention and you don't have the way, you really do want self-change. Let's say that really is your aim. You have it inside of you, but you can't find the way. The work will show you the way. The way will be opened up for you. A way will be made for you. And then you get to test whether you really have the intention or not. All this depends on obeying the work. First, through the mind and the emotional thinking. Someday, we obey the work with the whole will. But right now, we can just talk about that. Because we don't have a whole will right now. Right now, we have fragments. Hundreds of thousands of fragments of will that we call eyes. Little identities that want this, that want that, that are scattered. We don't have a whole will. And we won't have a whole will for a very long time. When the work is in you, when it's really in you, you begin to know how to act in life with non-identifying. What does that mean? How to act in life with non-identifying. It seems simple, but it's not simple. Because I see people act in life with non-identifying in a way that's impersonal, in a way that's 
distant. They remove people from their lives and they call that non-identifying. No, non-identifying doesn't have to be impersonal. You can still be personal and non-identify. Now we've just raised the bar. What are you going to do about it? Remember that we're all blinded with identifying. We're rendered deaf and dumb by it. I mean, what could be more stupid than me identified? Well, <laughs> and that's, that's, that's right. And that's, when you, get, when you start to get it, you used to go, well, I can tell you what could be more stupid than you identified. Me identified, that's definitely more stupid. Well, because that's against my aim of self-change. You're, you're identified, that's not so stupid. I can understand that. Jeez, it's easy to get identified. When I'm identified, that's stupid. You see how it just moves, it flows so beautifully into external consideration. You know, it's like, if you have the compassion and the love that comes with a higher level of being, you're not finding anything wrong with other people. It's like, so what? You look at that and go, man, it's so easy to be identified. Now, I can understand that. It's like really easy to be identified. It's stupid for me to be identified. I'm deaf and dumb when I'm identified. I'm blinded when I'm identified. If I'm identifying, I am walking with a white cane with a red tip, people, swinging it back and forth. So look out. Isn't that how people who are identified are in your life? Okay, so their red cane sometimes is a shotgun. And it ought to be painted white with a red tip so you'd know to get out of its way. But when you see somebody coming with a shotgun like that, get out of their way. Because they're identified. Identifying is our most terrible enemy. And only this work. When I say this work, I do not mean just the fourth way. I mean this work, this teaching, this ancient esoteric truth that man was created a self-developing organism. That this is his main task in life, is to complete himself. This work has the strength to overcome the terrible power of identification. Now we know that pride and vanity are like two huge monsters that go before us arranging everything. But they arrange everything so that we can identify with it. And once we get there and we're identified with it, we're blinded and we need something that can draw us out of the power of that. And this work is it. This work has the force and the power to do that if you will get this work inside of you. We've put together a website to go along with the podcast, solidrockvista.com. You'll find there a thoughts page where I write thoughts about the work and how it applies to our daily life. I'd like you to read as well as listen.